So my friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host. And uh, this is episode number 242. And uh, today we're talking to Molly Basquet, who wrote a, a really good book called How to Begin When Your World is Ending. Subtitle, A Spiritual Field Guide to Joy Despite Everything. And here's the deal. If you're in a place in your life where, I don't know, you're feeling the weight of the world, which can very often just suck our joy dry, right? If your joy tank is running on fumes, uh, this book, this conversation is for you. This is not a a book that's going to solve your problems. It's not a book where somebody's going to tell you, here's how you have joy in your life despite everything. It's not that. Uh, Instead, it's Molly, who is a pastor, bringing a truckload of her experience to the table, along with various stories of other people that she's had permission to to share uh, in the book, because she's a pastor, so she's got lots of stories. She brings all this stuff to the table, lays it out, and just tells you the stories. And somehow in those stories, you, you feel you feel a connection with her. You feel a connection with the characters in the stories. And you come to these different realizations about your own life along the way. It's literally like you're just sitting down having coffee with somebody and just talking about life and catching up. And somehow you leave that cafe feeling better than you did when you walked in, right? That's literally what it's like. You're going to feel... At the end of this episode, and especially if you if you get the book, you're going to feel like Molly's your friend. Like You're going to want to pick up the phone and call her. <laughs> you're going to feel like you literally have this connection with her. Uh, it's such a good book, and I can't recommend it enough. So I'm going to put the link to it in the show notes. We talk about a lot of things, by the way, in the episode. Uh, she calls herself a uh, progressive pastor. So what does that mean, right? We, we, talk, about, we talk about that. Uh, we talk about prayer. We talk about the problem of evil. A little bit, uh, all different sorts of things. So, really good episode, really good conversation, really good book, addressing lots of important things. So, anyway, again, links are in the show notes. Also in the show notes, my book, Rethinking Everything. Patreon, if you want to support the show financially, uh, three dollars a month, as high as you might want to go a month. All the money goes to support our family. Uh, this is a, a stream of our income, and so that money literally helps us put food on the table, keep the lights on. Uh, do all the different things. And uh, Patreon gets you entrance to, into a community. So if you you support on Patreon, $3 a month or up, you get uh, into a Discord chat group. You get invited to a Zoom hangout once a month uh, where you get to meet people, like literally connect with real live people who are asking the same kinds of questions you are uh, on the same kind of journey you are, maybe a little bit further ahead of you maybe a little bit behind you on the journey, but we're all walking this path together in the wilderness, trying to figure out where in the world it leads. And sometimes it could be lonely. So the idea of Patreon is to make you feel less lonely. And I say this all the time, but it's it's not about the money. The money helps, but it's not about the money. So if you can't swing $3 a month, $7 a month, whatever, doesn't matter, send me a message. Uh, just say, I, I can't do the $3 a month, but I really want the community? Uh, the answer is yes. I'm just going to ask you for your email address and a couple of things so I can get you set up with different things I got to get you set up with and you'll be in the community. And nobody needs to know. There's people in there right now who don't pay because they can't. They, they can't afford it. 
But it doesn't matter because it's not about that. It's about you feeling less alone on your journey. And that's what brings a smile to my face. So anyway, send me a message. The link to all the different things is in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, And that's it. That's all I got. Uh, This is episode number 242. Uh, Our friend Molly Basquette, how to begin when the world is ending. Enjoy. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, wake up. Get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slope. Grind anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way. Follow suit and follow line. Hope you gotta, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are sitting down with my friend Molly Basquet who recently wrote an amazing book called How to Begin When Your World is Ending. And so, Molly, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have this chat with you. Thank you. So great to meet you and excited to be here. Thank you. So first things first, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll get into your story in a little bit, obviously. But for now, give us the quick kind of rundown about yourself and a little bit about what you do. You bet. Um, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for, gosh, if you count student ministry years, about 30 years, lifelong <laughs> <lifetime>, Christian. Right? <laughs> yeah. It feels like several lifetimes, actually, <laughs> right. Um, especially right now. Yes. Um, been a Christian my whole life, actually cradle UCC, which I'm realizing is fairly rare. You know, a lot of people migrate into the UCC, United Church yep. of Christ. We're a big tent, but um I started going to a little church called Broadview Community in Hartford, Connecticut, when I was four years old. Mm. And the church bug, as well as the God bug, bit me. You know, they're Mm. not the same. (laughs) They're a little different. And um, I I stayed bitten pretty much my whole life, except for about three weeks in college when I took a Religions of China class and decided I was an atheist Taoist and was heartbroken (laughs) about it. And then I realized, well, wait, I um, I can be a Taoist and a Christian and you know, challenge God and have days where I don't believe in God, but mm. still let myself be enfolded by a sense of wonder. Um, I'm a mom. My mm-hmm. kids are 16 and 20. Um, we're in a really blessed moment where they are both living at home, but kind of working on themselves and, mm-hmm. and their own flourishing. Um, married to a, a guy I met in seminary. I like to say that he went to seminary to find a spouse. <laughs> um, he grew up in California where we live now. So I dragged him back East where I grew up for a number of years. And we moved to the Bay area where I pastor at UCC in Berkeley, California. Um, we moved here about six years ago and my church burned down on my five month anniversary. Wow. And a month later, Trump was elected, which my people took very personally. Wow. And lots of other things happen. So um, I did what I what I do. You know, I, I write the books that I need. And so I wrote a book about um, those horrible things that happen and lots of other horrible things along the way, hopefully with a little bit of humor. Yeah, well, you definitely have humor peppered throughout the book, which I appreciate because you have a, it's a very serious topic. And so it, it could sure just be is. it could just be very 
the whole book could just be very serious, but you peppered in a lot of humor in there, which I appreciated because I laughed. <laughs> I feel like yes, we have the same I'm kind glad. of humor. <laughs> good, good. I'm so glad. You know, I've sat at way too many, you know, clergy luncheons and, you know, where people just, it's like the veil of tears. It's uh -huh. like, you know, a parade of woes and we need humor. We need hu the way humor um, actually helps us grieve, I think, yeah. in important ways. And also, you know, lets us laugh at the devil. I mean that yeah. metaphorically and maybe actually kind of actually too. Yeah. You know, when we can laugh at what wants to destroy us, it really steals its power yeah. over us. Yeah, that sounds like a good uh, book title or maybe a podcast title, Laughing at the Devil. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh-huh. So you identify yourself as a progressive Christian pastor. I've heard you That's say right. that in the book. I've seen it uh, online in different places. But talk to us about that phrase, because I feel like that's a loaded a loaded phrase. You've got progressive in there. It you've is. got Christian yeah. in there. And you've got yeah. pastor in there, which brings up a whole lot of things for people. So if you had to narrow it down for yourself, like what does progressive Christian pastor mean for Molly? Uh, talk to us about that. Absolutely. I know it sounds like a paradox. Um, <laughs> and I know particularly when it comes to selling books, it's like we people who live in this progressive Christian space lose a lot of audience because mm -hmm. they're the progressives who think, ew, you're Christian. That means you're a homophobe. It means you're yeah. a white nationalist. It means, or, or it means you're just anti-intellectual. Right. And then on the Christian side of things, you say you're progressive and people are like, oh, you're woke or, you know, yeah. they have all kinds of preconceptions and misconceptions about that. Yeah. Um, and then pastor just shuts the whole conversation down. <laughs> you know, when I, when I lived on the East coast, actually, um, I joke that like where I lived, I lived in, and I grew up in Boston and mm -hmm. my previous church was in Metro Boston really, you know, like in the Bermuda Triangle of Harvard, MIT and Tufts. So like very intellectual people loved mm. when they found out I was a pastor, they were very curious because for the most part, they weren't religious anymore, the younger people, but they had like wounds that they wanted to heal. And so they loved talking to a pastor mm. um, on the West Coast. Forget it. It's like, I don't know if that California is really like 20 years ahead of culture or just a different animal altogether. I guess we'll find out in 20 years, but yeah. people find out I'm a, I'm a pastor and it shuts the conversation down. Mm. So to, to dial back into your question, um, to me being a progressive Christian pastor or no is really just about understanding that God is still revealing herself. Mm. Um, and I use her intentionally to put a thumb on the scale of patriarchy. I don't mm. think God has any one gender um, in the UCC are, you know, more than the cross, we use the comma as our symbol, because mm. we have, um, we use Gracie Allen's quote that uh, never put a period where God has put a comma, God is still speaking. Mm. And that's not like a 21st century catchphrase. It's been part of our theology since the very beginning. You know, we mm. understand that God is still revealing themselves to us. God is still showing us um, where where we've gotten it wrong, where we've gotten God wrong, or we've maybe attributed to God all of our prejudices and biases and blind spots. Mm. Um, and so I just try to stay open and inclusive. And I know this sounds trite, at least if you live in progressive Christian circles, but you know, a, a colleague of mine um, who's in a sort of garden variety UCC, uh, I won't say where, um, <laughs> one of one of that pastor's parishioners recently took issue with the idea of radical inclusivity. Like mm. we should have moderate inclusivity, right? Like none of this radical <laughs> inclusivity. And to me, radical inclusivity just means 
everybody's welcome. Yeah. Like true, everybody's welcome. Not all behaviors are welcome, but all people are welcome. Yeah. And particularly those who have been scapegoated, marginalized, used, um, killed literally, you know, and, and theologically and metaphorically mm. um, by the heresies of racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, xenophobia. Mm. So, you know, progressive Christianity is, is trying to build a big tent. It's saying, um, you know, we, you are loved, you are loved just as God made you and as mm -hmm. you're still becoming. Um, and because you have been so well loved, the more you perceive that love, the more you offer it to others, yeah. including people you may have previously understood to be outside of the realm of God's kingdom. Yeah. I love that because I, I grew up in a world where it was, it was the opposite. It was, we say everybody's welcome. We put signs on our buildings that say everybody's welcome, but what goes on inside the building sings a much different tune. Like I pastored a reformed church for a long time, way back in the day and <laughs> how I fit in a reformed yeah. church. I don't know, but, but it, it worked for that, for that season of my life. But we had conversations about like, I remember being confronted with, you know, what are you going to do if a gay couple comes to church? like on a communion Sunday. And I'm like, I don't know, like give them something to eat. Like Jesus would do, you know, like let them Amen. come to the table, but that's yeah. the wrong answer. You know, the wrong, the right answer was no, you, you don't let them come to the table until they repent. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't see how, I don't see the, how that connects with Jesus. Like even back then, like my, my thoughts about LGBTQ people were not as evolved as they are now, but even at that stage in my life, I was like, I just it don't see, sense. I just yeah. don't see how that works. And Same. so to hear somebody like yourself, who's a pastor, doing that kind of work brings so much joy to my heart because uh, it's just the opposite of what I was, what I, what I came up in. Yeah. I mean, I can say, I don't understand it because I never, I didn't grow up with it, but I, I feel like I wouldn't understand it anyhow. Like you yeah. look at, you look at the community that Jesus surrounded himself with. You look at how he interacted with people from such a wide variety mm -hmm. um, of settings and walks of life. And then Paul after him, and you know, I have my issues with Paul. He could be, a real curmudgeon. He could, he could be very like binary himself and exclusive, yeah. but, um, and Peter too, as well. It's like, there, there are so many different kinds of people who are attracted to Jesus message and Jesus found a place for all of them right. uh, and gave, and gave all kinds of people authority and subverted the authorities of his day. So, you know, like the, that whole like idea of power from below and power from the margins. And, yeah. and it's way more fun to be, to pastor a church like that or be part of a church like that. Just, mm -hmm. we call ourselves, one of our trans um, members actually coined the phrase, the Motley Pew. And that's <laughs> been sort of become our catchphrases church. And <laughs> to me, that's like, that's when I, I feel like I'm in heaven on earth when yeah. we're just a really ridiculous group of people who would never, who don't fit together, like who yeah. in any other room would, we would never find ourselves in any other room. That's so good. So let's talk about your book. I, I love your book. Like I said to you before, um, and I think in our email exchange, I said this is one of the best books I think I've read really in a long time because it's, like I said, it's so it's so real. There's glad. so many good stories in there. Yeah, and it was just so encouraging to me just in, in my own season of life that I'm in. But maybe before we get into like the, the meat of the book, give us like an overview of what this sure. is about. Like if someone elevator pitch it, if somebody is to go to Amazon and buy it, what can they expect? And who is kind of like your target audience that you're writing to? Well, 
the the wonderful millennial I hired to teach me how to do Instagram, um, <laughs> and I I'm unteachable. I'm still terrible at Instagram. <laughs> would be mad at me for saying this, but it's for everybody. <laughs> like it's yeah, right. it's for anyone who's lived through anything. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're doing better right now, it will hopefully give you some solace, comfort, wisdom. Not wisdom from me, but that you know I'm a magpie that I've gathered from people through yeah. the years yeah. for whatever you're going to go through next. I think that's really good because looking at the title, you know, it's called How to Begin When Your World is Ending, Spiritual Field Guide for joy, to Joy Despite Everything. You could look at that and say, well, my life isn't really ending right now. I feel pretty good about everything. But as I was reading the book, there were so many things that I I, I was thinking back over my life and some of the things that I, I've healed from, you know, that I've I've made it past, I've made it through, but then going back saying, oh, like... Help me look at it through a different lens, which I felt like brought a deeper layer of healing because I was like, I thought I was over this thing, but I read something that you wrote or somebody else's story in the book. And I'm like, oh, like that just awakened a whole bunch of stuff in me that I thought I dealt with, but I didn't really deal with. But now it's helping me see it in different light. So for our listeners, even if you don't feel like your world is falling apart, uh, this book is still is still for you. Thank you, Glenn. That's that's maybe the nicest thing you could say about my book. I really love hearing that. I love hearing that I <laughs> I tore all your old wounds open again. Nice. <laughs> tore all the scabs off. I'm bleeding all Woo! over the, the room here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's be my elevator pitch. Right. Tearing scabs off one story <laughs> at a time. That's right. So uh, take us into your story a little bit. And obviously the book is your story, so we don't want to give everything away. But uh, take us into it a little bit because... Like I said, I mean, this book is not your typical book where it's filled with theories, it's filled with deep, in-depth research, but the book comes from a very personal place in your life, and then also the personal places of other people's lives who whose stories you're able to share. So take us into whatever spaces of the stories that you'd like to take us into, and maybe we'll just see what kind of rabbit holes we, we travel down together. Sounds good. Um, so it started as a, a cancer blog. I had... Um, they found a cancer in me, a very aggressive cancer that teenage boys usually get. I was 39 years old. My kids were four and eight at the time. I was asymptomatic the way they found it. I'll, I'll leave that story in the book, but mm-hmm. was entirely mystical and incredible. And it's the mm-hmm. reason I'm alive today. Um, and I blogged my way through that again. You know, I, I write the things I need and writing is my way of kind of swimming to the surface of whenever I feel like I'm drowning, making meaning, if not sense of what's happening. And I always thought I'd sort of make that a story with a beginning, middle and end. Once mm-hmm. I was through it, um, if I got to live and spoiler alert, I did. <laughs> um, but then as I was writing with help from early readers, I realized this is not really just my story. It's about all the resurrections, all the, you know, Father Richard Rohr is a huge influence on my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, we die and resurrect hundreds of times in our life. Like maybe like if we're really tuned in spiritually a few times a day, right? Yeah. And and I, I've been privileged to walk with so many other people through their own resurrections in life that I really wanted to just tell their stories, hopefully in a really illuminating way, um, but also do like a little reverse engineering on um, where God, how God was present, how I or they were able to accept the gifts of God in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. by reaching out, asking for support, stating our needs, you know, sometimes like often in really vulnerable ways, breaking mm-hmm. patterns, um, to kind of be co-collaborators with God in our own resurrections. And that's where 
that's what it is. So the, the story as the book as a whole is, you know, my cancer arc um, and really in lots of ways, my parenting arc, because um, our older child has been, I describe him as my best spiritual teacher. Um, <laughs> he has ADD and has some trauma himself. Yeah. And um, I was not always the parent I wanted to be with him. And, you know, we there's like all these tender moments in the last five or six years of parenting him through late adolescence and his own struggles that um you know writing our way writing my way through it it was very revealing and brought us a lot closer and brought a lot of healing to our relationship mm -hmm. um and then pepper through with these other stories and also some of the really terrible or just banal theologies out there that's out there like god has a plan you know all the stupid things well-meaning loving people say to us when they don't know what to say yeah. when we are facing our own diagnosis or going through a divorce or suffering with treatment resistant depression or whatever it is um yeah. because the, you know we say those things to make ourselves feel better but they really can actually do a lot of harm so i unpack some of those phrases or concepts and reach for a theology that's still evolving, but, you know, maybe matches up more with what real life is really like. Yeah. Yeah. So what was one of the bigger, what was one of the harder phrases that you had to unpack, like that you were confronted with when you received this cancer diagnosis? Like what, what, like what, what aspect of your faith or what, like rote phrase that we often tell people when those kind of things cross their plate. Like what was the one thing that you really had to confront and deal with and kind of dig into uh, sure. to, to come through this? Oh, for sure. It was, you know, God never gives us any more than we can handle. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, cause strength was kind of my brand. You know, mm -hmm. I, I talk about this early in the book. Um, I was raised poor, you know, um, particularly living with my mom, you know, welfare, food stamps, Section 8 housing. There was a lot of neglect and um, substance use disorder in my mm -hmm. family that meant I was kind of on my own a lot. And there, there it's so when I think about a few things that happened in my childhood, it's kind of a miracle I'm still here. And so like while I paid a lot of lip service to interdependence and mm -hmm. vulnerability before even writing this book or before getting cancer, um, at my core, I was like, I really felt alone into yeah. probably my late 20s until, mm -hmm. you know, falling in love with my husband really taught me that I needed to let other people in more and like mm -hmm. have the courage to be truly vulnerable. Vulnerable meaning open yourself to being wounded by someone yeah. who says they love you, which in, in any long-term relationship is going to happen. Mm. Um, so getting cancer helped me to kind of do that work at the next level to let go of my workaholism. Cause I couldn't work. I was so sick and my brain was so foggy and I, I really could, you know, it was like, keep yourself alive and then do part of the work to keep your kids alive. You know, my yeah. kids were still small and they really needed me. Um, and let people in, like figure out who and how to let all the people who love me in at the right level from mm -hmm. parishioners um, to friends, to my family, you know, family's complicated. Um, there are ways 
I wanted my my parents to show up for me. And my mom had actually died at that point. She died a few years previous and, and they did in amazing ways, but other way, you know, our parents have their own limitations. And so sure. like, how do I forgive them for what they couldn't do? So just kind of working through all the layers of um, surrendering my strength, um, surrendering the idea that I could, like muscle and hustle my way through and through everything mm -hmm. confronting my mortality. Like, mm -hmm. it's not that God's going to keep me alive. Like, I don't think God decided I should live and like someone else's four-year-old with leukemia should die. It definitely doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. Um, so there's a poignant moment where I'm like, but God, I just want to live to see my kids grow. And God's like, you know, they'll be okay if you don't. And I was like, wrong answer. Right. <laughs> so, so like all working through all that stuff. Um, the other thing, the other thing, you know, that I worked through sort of toxic theology or, or bright siding was um, a dear friend of mine who is more kind of new agey in her theology mm -hmm. said early on, well, you know, whatever it was right before they, they, it was a tumor. It took mm -hmm. them a long time to figure out what it was because of its odd presentation. She said, whatever this is, you know, its real name is love. And I was mm -hmm. like, nope it is not like <laughs> I really started wanting to like do you know positive affirmations and befriending yeah. this what I, like what does it have to teach me and instead I really found this kind of fire in the belly and this you know I, I like to think of myself as a nonviolent person but truth be told like I have a lot of ferocity in me and I needed mm -hmm. to access that mm. to for this particular fight and I know fighting language does not work for all people living with cancer um, or who are, who have survived and, you know, you got to find what works for you, but I needed to kind of find that fire um, to carry on. Yeah. You know, the, the thing you said earlier about how God will never give us more than we can handle. That's one that I've thought a lot about that because that was even when I was a pastor, like that was one of the, I don't know, you have these like phrases you go to when you're a pastor, right? Because I mean, everybody's always coming to you with their problems and all their different things. And you just have like different things that you say. And that was one of the things I always said was, you know, God will never give us more than we can handle. But then I started, when I started like deconstructing and asking questions, like one of the, this is one of the things I was exploring was, you know, there's even like so many stories in the Bible where like, for instance, Moses, right? Moses had to keep his arms up in the air, but he couldn't do it on his own. So they had to come build beside him and hold his arms up for him. And then there's that one place where I think it was his father-in-law kind of pulled him aside and said, like, you're killing yourself <laughs> with all the work you're doing. Yeah, you need to divide up. Yeah. You got to yeah. divide up the labor. You got to give some things to different people. Like you can't do it all. Like all this yeah. different stuff has come upon your plate and you can't carry it all by yourself. So you need other people. Like, so God certainly lets people come, lets things come your way that you can handle for the very purpose of you have to build relationships with other people in order right. to have other people help you and come alongside of you. I mean, God, I, I always tell people when they're like, I'm sorry to be so needy. I'm like, God made you that way. That's right. God made us to be interdependent and it's how the magic happens. Yeah. And, you know, that phrase, God doesn't give you more than you can handle has two false assumptions in it. One is that God's doing the giving. Like mm -hmm. this didn't come from God. Like a lot of the stuff that happens in this life does not come from God. I mean, I guess if you say, well, God's the creator and you know, creation was set up so that sometimes cells misdivide and mm -hmm. become cancer or that, you know, um, whatever, all the horrible things that tsunamis and earthquake, that the tectonic plates, plates shift and like hundreds of thousands of people die. Yeah. You can blame God for that. And yeah, 
you can't, but like God didn't, you know, in like every present moment, like God doesn't wake up and make the first cup of coffee and say, okay, who am I going to give cancer to today? Or who am I going to burden with all these things today? So God, maybe God gives him like the general since the beginning of time, since this messy gift of creation, but God doesn't like give us as individuals and more than we can handle. We get more than we can handle all the time. It's Mm -hmm. why people die by suicide because it's too much it's why people turn to substances you know 80 percent of people who are addicts have a trauma history like unresolved trauma so we get more than we can handle all the time but you know what i try to hit is like are you curious to find out what happens next can you look for like that little chink of light can you reach for in the like you can't see the light can you reach in the darkness for one person who may be there to help you fi- take a step forward, like yeah. help you find your feet? Like there's just look for that space and that you can move into. So let's segue into, because this is a good segue into the problem of evil. That's a big oh, yeah. question. Everybody's That's a favorite. light topic. Easy, <laughs> easy peasy. I think we're going to figure it out today, Glenn. Yeah, so I'm going to lean gonna on you. to bed once and for all. Yeah, the progressive Christian <laughs> pastor is going to answer all of my questions about the problem of evil. But really, like, what what, what have you, what, what how, how has your thoughts about that evolved over, over time? Like, where, yeah. maybe like 15, 20 years ago, like, where were you? You had all this, all these experiences that you've, you've had in your life. And as a pastor, all other people's experiences as well to like where you are now, what does that arc yeah. look like kind of in your evolution of that idea? Because a lot of people email me a lot and ask me the, these kinds of questions about the problem of evil. And I point them to different books that I found helpful, but I always like to ask people in your position who are shepherding people and who you're dealing with people who are having a lot of crisis, stuff like that in their life. Like what, how has that informed your idea of the problem of evil and why bad things happen in the world? Yeah. When we supposedly serve this loving, powerful God. <laughs> right. Okay. I'll try to be concise, but I'm probably yeah. <laughs> not going to be. And I'll try to be satisfying, but I know I will definitely not be because <laughs> a lot of parts of this answer are not satisfying. It's like there is, you know, first of all, we're all good and bad all mixed together. That doesn't mean we're all like evil and good. Mm-hmm. It's we just have competing, conflicting impulses, longings, desires again, aforementioned unhealed trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, We are all located within certain social groups. And where I think evil comes into play is in the aggregate, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's hard, maybe impossible. Like, I think 20 years ago, I would have said like Hitler's evil, or like, if I'd known Donald, Donald Trump's evil, they're not evil in themselves. They were enabled like there are whole, there's a whole cohort of people there yeah um world war 2 who enabled evil right mm-hmm. um it's not located in one person and if we ever locate evil in one person then we can scapegoat and murder that person and mm-hmm. say there evil solved you know yeah. which it, evil is betwixt and between us it's like always afoot and it's it's there, it's it's enabled by how we respond in any given moment, by mm-hmm. whether we resist what we know to be wrong and unjust, or take the easy route, or take the like passively by going along with it, or you know, not speaking up, or actively enable it by participating it and mm-hmm. you know, ratcheting it up. Um so 
the problem of evil. I mean, God invented this world and invented it with like lots of natural disasters baked into it. And then also gave us free will, which has created all kinds of unnatural disasters. Mm -hmm. um, and that's again, where the free will comes in. And a concept I really love that I've learned from uh, Rabbi Edwin Friedman and family systems theory is symptom, which is related to the Jewish word, uh, the Hebrew word for raisin, where God shrinks God's self up to make room for our agency, mm. which, um, has you know let a lot of bad behavior into the room and also a lot of good behavior because we are all continually becoming um and this is the other thing i've learned over the last 20 years you know there are people who at a distance i would want to judge or hate or just like say yeah they're beyond redemption and yet i've seen people change mm. like so utterly for some for good reasons, you know, because of influences on them, um, external, internal, like they had a mystical experience and met with God, others for no good reason that I can discern. Mm -hmm. So it's let me know that God's really not done with any of us yet. And the more we can call people in, like I, I get just as mad as any progressive about, you know, American politics and and how I hear Christians on the right talking about <laughs> Jesus or talking about anyone, you know, who I love. Um, and I, I know fundamentally like my job, especially as a white, straight, cis, you know, middle-aged lady is to call them in and try to call, like speak to their heart, call them out of what I believe is a, a death cult and yeah. not judge scapegoat, not be the evil I deplore. Yeah othering yeah i think that's so important because it's you know it's about it's about inviting everybody to the table and we can talk in a minute i want to ask you about mysticism and being a mystic and that kind of stuff but it's kind of like the world i'm exploring now is just this idea that like you said everybody everybody's welcome there is no other you know there is no well, as soon as we make everybody's an other in. yeah as soon as we make an other then we start pointing fingers that just causes yeah. barriers and wars and fights and my friend Alexander Shia talks about how everybody's welcome to the table. The only person who's not welcome is the person who thinks that they're they're right and everybody else is wrong. And they're welcome, but they can come back later. They have to maybe just take a a, a stand over there in the corner for a little bit, but then they can come back yes. because at the table we want it, we want everybody to feel like their opinions matter, that they're valued, they're important, and that we can we can kind of go together arm in arm, even if we don't see each other eye to eye. That's right. I want to shout out uh, my friend, Rabbi Danya Rettenberg's new book on repentance and repair. Mm. It's a, she um, unpacks Maimonides ancient, well, it's not ancient, but mi 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 middle ages um, way of, of um, making amends when mm. you've done harm. And it's just a really beautiful book at, at a interpersonal and so, and onto, you know, global scale. I've heard of that book. Now, now you've piqued my interest. <laughs> I've heard yes, I, I was going to, really it's book. on my list of things to read in 2023. So now I'll definitely have to move it to the top of the list. Good. <laughs> it's, so it's one of the things, yeah. So when it comes to the problem of evil, like I was thinking, I was reading your book, I was thinking about how my own thoughts about this have evolved over time. And I remember, it was like, a, I remember, when was it? Maybe it was like six years ago, maybe it was five years ago. There was a big hurricane that was coming up the East Coast. And I have friends who live, 
my from my evangelical days who live like right along the coast and the hurricane took like this last minute right hook and then it kind of missed a whole bunch of people but then slammed back into the coast and my people my friends who it missed you know like all the posts were going up on how god like god moved the storm you know and god god just took his hand and picked it up and moved it and i was like well wait a minute like that makes sense for you, but what about the people who it hit? You know, like what, I know. What, what did they do? Like, why? Why you, is it that? They didn't think that through. Yeah, like why that is it that? Through. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, you know, yeah. God has His reasons because God is sovereign, and one day we'll understand. I'm like, no, I don't think that's a really a good answer. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like that's not the answer. <laughs> it's very convenient. It's convenient when the victors say that, right? Yes, it's yeah. like God saved me. So you know, it's and it's so. I'm sorry, like, this is rude because it's your friends, but that's a really immature way of thinking. Yeah. You know, like, we're the good guys because we got to live. That's right. No, uh-uh. Yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. But then uh, another layer of that was when my, my wife and I had a, I've told this on the podcast before, but my wife and I had a miscarriage before our daughter, we had our daughter. And it was like really my first like ever experience with like significant loss like that. And like all these emotions just came like flooding in from nowhere. And up until that time, like I had, you know, I had been a pastor and things like that. And I had helped people with this sort of thing. And like, again, the, the road answers were always, you know, you know, God has his purposes and, you know, you, you'll see the person again someday, or, you know, you see the baby again today, all these different things. And, but when, when it happened to me, like all of a sudden, like none of those answers did anything for me. Yeah. And I remember I went out to my car at the hospital to get it, to bring it around, to pick up my wife. I was like yelling at God. I was like, this is ridiculous like how Excellent. in the world can you allow this to happen like you call yourself a loving good god like where were you i hit all the right buttons on the vending machine i go to church i pastor to church for crying out loud i read my bible i do all these different things what in the world is going on I remember just being confronted with this like this you talk about like a, a like a ferociousness of like i i have to go after this because like I've studied this stuff all of my life. Like I have all of the right answers in here, but none of them are working in this circumstance. And that was really yeah. one of the like first steps to my own deconstruction of just taking everything apart. And I kind of came to this conclusion. I've talked to a lot of people kind of along the way, but like I look back on that circumstance and I feel like th the sense I get is that God has said like, there's nothing I could have done to prevent that from happening to you yeah. because this is life and this is the way the universe is set up. I've given it free will to operate as it will. There's certain things I can do. There's certain things I can't do, but what I can yep. do is I can make sure you're never alone in the midst of that pain. Yes. And so now when I look back on that time, like I don't see any more, you know, this all powerful God kind of in the corner with his arms crossed, you know, mm -hmm. thinking, well, I guess I'm not going to save your baby. I'll save the person in the next room. But instead I see, I see, I see a God is there with his arms around me and my yes. wife walking us through that grief. And I think that yeah. that's for me, like, it's not like you want to have a God who could snap his fingers and make it all better. But at the same time, you don't, because there's a lot of times it's not better. And that leaves you with a whole lot of questions of, well, why, right. like, why me? So that's right. kind of where I'm at with all this stuff with the problem of evil. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to say that, like, God says, I couldn't change it, but I, I will never leave you. And I'm yeah. right there with you in your pain. Like sitting here making a podcast, it sounds, it sounds a little like, you know, whatever. I don't want to say trite, but it's like, well, 
that's not satisfying, but it is satisfying in the moment. Right. <laughs> it is satisfying when you're in deep pain and you have an imminent experience of that God yeah. who will not abandon you, or you get like just the right ER nurse who says just the right thing. Like right. All, all the sort of human angels, God with skin on, I call them, mm-hmm. that God sends to mitigate our suffering in that moment or just yeah. help us get through it. That's right. And even in the God's even in the ferocity, right? Yeah. It's like God's heard it all before. Like Job, Job is a great, like Job's a great, you know, not cautionary tale, whatever the opposite is. It's like, yeah, God's heard it all before. God can handle our rage and pain and blame. <laughs> yeah. God can and handle your questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a necessary step in in grief, in a deep grief like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what so what does prayer look like for you then? Maybe I'll end with this question because again, that's a lot of things that people ask me a lot about is like now that I'm deconstructing, I'm rethinking my faith and I'm wondering if God is all powerful. Like if he's not, what's the point of me praying for different things to happen yeah. if God isn't able to or isn't going to, whatever the case may be, kind of step in and make it better. So I'm wondering like as you've had all these experiences in your life. Um, especially like with the cancer and things like that and people coming to you with their own grief. Like what does prayer look like for you yeah. these days? Uh, is it a regular thing? Is it kind of like a passing thing throughout the day? Like what does it look like in your everyday life to pray? Um, there's the prayers for good times and the prayers for hard times, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of <laughs> the good like, time prayers and the know, bad times. It was <laughs> the bad time prayer. Like an everyday, it was sort of an everyday day today. Like it, it was, or, you know, it was a great day, but um, I'll, I'll often do the, um, the Ignatian examine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very lazy, I'm like the hardest working lazy person you'll ever meet. So I'd like to do <laughs> it in it. bed, yeah. um, lying down. And the Ignatian examine is just a, a spiritual review of the day. Like you with God looking over your shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, what happened today and, and first gratitude. So you like, thank God for all the gifts of that day, like having dessert first, and then, you find out where your like spirit or your brain gets snagged on, you know, a place you messed up or an encounter that didn't go quite right. And you ask God to kind of illuminate that and give mm-hmm. you, you know, teach you something from that. And then finally you think about tomorrow and what you have on your plate and ask God to be present with you in it. So that's like sort of my everyday prayer. And then there's intercessory prayer, you know, praying for other people, which mostly takes the form of like, it's more somatic than it used to be. Like mm-hmm. I, I definitely pray out loud with people or send people prayer texts, but lighting a candle when mm-hmm. someone's in labor or someone's dying or someone's making a decision um, and just breathing, just pausing throughout my day and breathing in what they're holding, breathing out, you know, God's presence for them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the like really hard days prayers. And I wrote a chapter about prayer and how to begin and I, it's one of my kind of newer metaphors for prayer is that God is a spotter. You know, we're rock climbing and God is below on the belay line, you know, and it's not that like we have a, we're harnessed, so we're not going to plummet to our death, but we're also stuck. Like if, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're stuck in the middle of the rock face and we don't know where the next handhold is and we're, all of our muscles are shaking And we're trying to use these tiny little puny muscles like our biceps and triceps, (laughs) which are, you know, ego 
for hustle to get through. And God wants us to use the big muscles, you know, like the glutes and quads to push ourselves up. And God is down below shouting where the next handhold is, Mm. you know, so God's not just going to like lift us to the top because where's, where's the like, life in that you know we are we have to do something under our own efforts but god will guide us like just look up to your left at you know two o'clock and you'll see well that doesn't look like anything god trust me it is reach Mm -hmm. for that thing look put your you know god's there um as lure as guide to show us what what the next place we can put ourselves in to be secure yeah yeah. Or if not, not secure, but to to move out of the stuck place we're in. Let's say yeah. that. Yeah. It sounds like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of your prayer is kind of organized around that idea of God's presence as opposed yeah. to God's power. Would I be correct in saying that? Like Absolutely. it's more about God being yeah. with us, being, be with, let the person who's hurting maybe sense your presence, like that kind of thing, as opposed yeah. to, God flex your muscles and overcome this thing. And there's a little bit more in the presence because presence, I think, I don't think it's passive, but it can feel very passive. Like we're just going to sit here in this muck. And sometimes that's what you're going to do. Like there's, there's only one way through grief. You got to grieve. Right. And it feels like hell. Um, But I've learned a lot from process theology, which is God as a lure, you Mm -hmm. know, like God can't make us do things, but if we get really quiet, we can sense a direction in which God is, calling us you know there's lots of things that claim us and people who make claims over us and and um and if we can just get quiet enough to feel which way god is luring us god is always luring us toward good and toward freedom yeah yeah all right last question you have time for one more question sure something else just came to my mind okay uh you you mentioned you mentioned richard Rohr. you just mentioned process theology so i think a, a good ending places what are some of the the resources or some of the thinkers the teachers who have most influenced kind of you and your journey oh gosh i hate i the worst recall but i will say um <laughs> for sure i've meant rap i've mentioned rabbi edwin friedman yep. and family systems theory and the lombard mennonite peace center has really helped me do a lot of like personal healing mm, work okay. um which has allowed me to be a better pastor and person in my family and friend um, Richard War, Richard Rohr for sure. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. I know he's like not cool among a lot of progressives because <laughs> mixed feelings. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> yeah. low key misogyny. But <laughs> I was raised on his stuff, and I yep, still me love mere Christianity so much. Um, God, I'm gonna. I just. I don't want to like. Do I want to do too many or too few? I gotta look at my thing. <laughs> Go um, to the bookshelf. Right? <laughs> exactly. Joan Chittister. I love Joan Chittister. Hmm. Um, Glennon Doyle has been a really huge influence. Brene Brown, you know, yeah. the sort of like all the sort of people in the vanguard of the the movement toward vulnerability as a strength. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll leave it there. <laughs> have like you two, Have you heard of uh, more at the back yeah. of my book? There's a whole. It's like books are my best friends, and things. here here all the books that have shaped me. Yeah. Have you heard of um Thomas Ord? I don't think so. No. Thomas Ord wrote a book. He's into like process theology, open relational theology, but he wrote a book called Mm. God Can't. And Mm. he explores the problem of evil. And he talks about that idea that because 
there's certain things that God can't do because God if God were to be, limits yeah, if God stuff. could yeah. do it, that would mean that God would have to overcome free will. And that's the most unloving thing that you could possibly do. And God is love. And so it kind of yeah. paints this conundrum, so to speak, yeah. and then really takes us into it. And that book helped me a lot process through a lot of those kinds of questions. So yeah, add that one to your list. <laughs> I will. We each awesome. got some good reading. That's right. Well, we're just about out of time, but this has been a lot of fun. So thank you for taking the time Thanks to join so me. Much. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for your work. And uh, just thank you. There. You're welcome. And uh, real quick, where's the best place for people to go online to find you and, and your work? I have a website, mollybaskett.com. You can see all my books there. You can buy How to Begin wherever you buy books. Um, ask your library to carry it. Ask your local bookseller. Or if you get it from Jeff Bezos, please leave a review on Amazon because those really do help people find books they wouldn't otherwise find. Absolutely. Well, I'll put the links in the show notes and maybe we can do it again because I got more questions. Great. Awesome. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made its presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I mention Looks like I won the game, made my decision I listen I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, yeah. Tryna play it cool, quit with all the tools, yeah. Maybe you're my calling like I'm on flight at 28. Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late. Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate. Of course, it's in my planning and it's also with my faith. At the end of the day, if we gon' find a way, it's a fact of the price that we pay. Everything shine to the gray. Nothing gon' break through the shade. Nothing gon' break through the hate. Everything all that we claim. Hit the red dot to the aim. No missing, I'm focused. No slipping, I'm growing. No talking, just showing. No stopping, keep going. Yeah, I'm just trying to break codes. Ain't nobody I owe. This the life that I chose. And I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no. Kept it on the low. Gotta let it flow. Gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new. Trying to play it cool. Quit with all the tools. Thank you.